This is the Foot in the Box podcast for the week of Monday, June 5th. And now, please rise for the singing of our Welcome to episode 96 of the A Foot in the Box podcast. My name is Peter Elliott. And I'm Paul Elliott. This is a weekly baseball podcast. We are based in Champaign, Illinois. Uh, Paul, how is it going? It's going well. It's been uh, it's been a super busy baseball week. A lot of stuff uh, to talk about. Uh, and we'll, we'll uh, definitely talk about all of the baseball happenings what's like your top three things you're looking forward to talk about on this podcast? Cause I agree. There's lots of stuff, even on Saturday, there's lots of stuff to discuss. Um, top three, I'll go Hawk retiring Bryce Harper. Uh, I'm actually fairly intrigued by the, um, July 4th home run derby in London. Mm. I don't know if you saw that. I did that was, that. that was by far the most bizarre news of the week. <laughs> uh, it's like Carlos Pena, uh, Sean green and, uh, Cliff Floyd. Are you going to talk about that later, or should we? Uh, I guess we can talk about it now. Sure. Yeah. The The thing that I... In 15 seconds or less. Sure. Uh, it's on July 4th in London. Mm-hmm. July 4th is like declaring our independence from London. Yeah, it's kind of a troll move. Yeah. Justin Bieber, the headliner, though. Really? Yeah. Wow. So it's a free event for people in London, mm-hmm. and it's uh, former Major League players, home run derby, and um, there's, th- like, there's like celebrity, like cricket and soccer players as well. Right. They were looking for like former Dodgers and Red Sox. Those are the two teams that right. uh, baseball is trying to push overseas, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you think the Yankees would have much more of a brand appeal? I would think so. And I would think that they would have more f- former stars that are great. Do you have a top uh, two Yeah, or three? I'll go uh, Harper one, Pujols two, and then Volquez. There's no hitter. Three. Yeah, that was neat. Before we get into all of that, let's give uh, our Nelly update this week. Paul, I have some wisdom from Nelly on the institution of marriage. Wow. Give it to me. So he's been dating Floyd Mayweather's uh, ex-girlfriend, Chantel Jackson, mm-hmm. known as Miss Jackson, apparently. Uh, so he was asked, you know, when when are you going to get married, Nelly? You and Ch- Chantel, Miss Jackson, Ms. Jackson, have been uh, dating for a while. When are you going to get married? And he says the following. The thing about marriage to me is I take it very, very seriously. It's something I'm only doing one time. For me, it's almost like society would prefer you to have been married and got divorced and try to then to be married and stay married. For me, it's more important to die married than to have been married and it didn't work out. Death do you part is serious around here. Wow. So he has not been married. You know, he has several kids. <laughs> He's waiting to get married. So, I respect it. Yeah, props, props to Nelly. Coming from someone who got married at a very young age, uh, I respect his uh, sober-mindedness about marriage, but I do think there's a point where you just have to to make the leap. So, so you'd encourage him to get yeah, married to Miss Jackson. Yeah, I'd say put a ring on it. All right. Well, let's move on to uh, our banter this week. Um, a little tease: we have a big baseball and TV segment back this week. 
you'll just have to wait a few minutes to get to that. But um, a special guest will join us for Baseball on TV. Uh, it's a throwback, so look forward to that. But uh, some general baseball happenings. Uh, quickly, uh, I was at the Cubs-Cardinals game on Friday afternoon. What many are referring to as the game that turned around the entire season. <laughs> Has anyone referred to it as that? Oh, yeah. They will. They will. Uh, so the Cubs won 3-2. to two. Uh, They It was not a pretty game by either side, but the Cardinals made more defensive errors than the Cubs, and um, that's why the Cubs won. So uh, our nephew Grady and I were at the game. It's my uh, kind of annual Christmas gift to him. Go to a Cubs-Cardinals game. This is the second year in a row that I've taken him and the second year in a row that the Cubs have won. It was a great experience. Uh, weather was perfect. Seats were amazing. Uh, had some inside access to uh, some higher-ups within the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's as, as much as I can say, Paul. <laughs> um, but I did enjoy uh, playing with the kids of a front office executive. Mm. You probably already said too much. Played catch with uh, a son of uh, an executive. <laughs> um, so yes, we have a, a listener at a game segment with Grady and I. Five weeks in a row. <laughs> we're, we're having to carry it ourselves here. So if you if you go to a game, uh, let us know and we'll call you and do a segment. That segment will come before baseball on TV. So here in about 10 minutes. Other things, though, around baseball. Uh, one note I had, congrats to Champaign Central, their baseball team. They won sectionals for the first time since 1968 uh, over the weekend. They are now 29-9. and uh, So kind of a improbable run to a sectional championship. They had to, to win regionals last week and then sectionals this week. They were a good team all year, um, but you know, a team with nine losses isn't really considered right. a, a powerhouse in high school baseball. Um, so congrats to them. Uh, they play super sectionals Monday, uh, I think, and then uh, state would be after that. Hmm. That has been your high school baseball, your Illinois high school baseball update. Also, uh, congrats to uh, John Lester. This is the uh, John Lester Pickoff Podcast. I think we'll name it. Yesterday, in case you missed it, he picked off uh, Tommy Pham. This is the his first pickoff move this year. Actually, his first in several years. He went all of 2014 without throwing over to first. Threw it over once in 2015, and it went uh, into right field. Mm-hmm. Didn't throw it over at all last year. And then, so, I guess in the last four years, he's thrown it he over twice. It I thought he, he kind of did, like, a weird pickoff. Um, but Fam's lead was 19 feet, mm. uh, which was crazy. And um, if you haven't already... Uh, we tweeted out a video of this as Lester, or right before Lester picked Fam off, the Cardinals broadcast was talking about how mm-hmm. every base runner in baseball should do what Fam was doing, that there's no way Lester's going to throw over, and then perfect timing throws over to first base. Yeah, and we'll, gets just, him. we'll just play it right now. He's almost a third of the way to second base. <laughs> I think every guy should do this. There's no question about it. Whether you have speed or not. Absolutely. It's an unbelievable lead that he has. See, if he throws over where Tommy Pham is, he just takes off to second base. He could. That's a trick, that step off and hold the ball. He's not going to throw to first base. But he did. That's all right. It's worth it. 
All right, a couple of big milestones in baseball. Uh, or I guess one big milestone and one, I don't know what you consider a no-hitter. Accomplishment. Okay, yeah, famous accomplishment. Albert Pujols hit his 600th homer on Saturday nights, uh, his ninth home run of 2017. Uh, and I will discuss this more in my article for Out of the Box. Um, but um, I feel like him hitting 600 kind of thrust Pujols back into the mainstream. Mm-hmm. And he's got a really interesting career because he was phenomenal, one of the best players ever for about a decade, and then um, signed a contract with the Angels, Right, uh, left the Cardinals, and then uh, has been pretty irrelevant since then. Mm-hmm. I feel like uh, his contract has actually hurt his reputation. Sure. Um, I think if he had signed a reasonable extension with the Cardinals, there'd be far less expectations. But because of the size of that deal, it's like... In a lot of people's minds, he's kind of drifted to the, the background. Mm-hmm. Edison Volquez threw the first no-hitter of 2017, and it's actually the first no-hitter in over a year since Jake Arrieta's in late April of 2016. It's nuts because there were seven no-hitters in 2015, and mm-hmm. the narrative going into to last year was, you know, there's so many no-hitters, it's not um, even that great of an accomplishment anymore. Um you know, that number is going to keep going up because hitters keep striking out. Um, but I don't think people took into account that pitchers are throwing much less innings now. Right. So I guess just pitchers are throwing less innings and um, has translated mm-hmm. into less no-hitters. And the cool thing about uh, Volquez's no-hitter was that it was on uh, what would have been... Um, You're down to Ventura's birthday. 26th birthday, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were teammates in Kansas City. And he uh, mentioned him after the game along with Jose Fernandez. Wilquez uh, threw the no-hitter as a Marlin. Um, Fernandez, of course, died last fall. Um, so that was cool that he dedicated it to them. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, uh, some interesting nuggets from that game. It was a Maddox. He only threw 98 pitches, 10 strikeouts, 2 walks, uh, faced the minimum. Uh, it's only the 13th uh, no-hitter that was also a Maddox uh, since they kept those stats, I think, in the, like the late 80s. So dominant performance in Volquez, um, you know, if you're going to throw a no-hitter, that's the way you do it. You don't walk, you know, seven guys or that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so great performance in Volquez. He's now 2-7 and seven on the season. Yeah, Volquez has had an interesting career. I feel like he was a young stud or burgeoning young stud with the Reds. Mm-hmm. And then... It's like him and Cueto were, like, tied together. Right, but that, now he's definitely... He hasn't had near the career that Cueto has had. Sure. Volquez's big moment was the World Series in 2015 when his father passed away. Yeah. There was like, you know, that big story about whether he knew or not. Yeah, when, when he pitched game one. I think there's a blog post out there. I think we were live blogging in that World Series. Really? Or their blog a day for the World Series? Uh, before uh, Volquez's no hitter, the Marlins had gone 480 straight games without a complete game. Wow! It was the longest streak in uh, Major League history. Last thing on the no-hitter, there hasn't been a perfect game since 2012. This one, you know, was close. He faced the minimum, but did give up two walks. Uh, so that's, I think, the thing that I'm most intrigued by. Um, I'm much more of a perfect game guy than a no-hitter guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, in 2012, there were three uh, in a four-month stretch before uh, none the last five years. Uh, can you name the the three perfect games in You in always do this, and I'm always brutal at it. Um 2012. That was an Umber, was it? Yep, Phil Umber with the White Sox. Um, Scherzer's never done it. The last one was a Seattle Mariner. 
Seattle, Mayor. August 2012. King Felix. Mm-hmm. He threw a perfect game. Yeah, the last one. Hmm. And then Matt Kane of the Giants. That's right. Moving on to some other quick things. Uh, Harper versus Trout. Uh, very eventful week, but some heartbreaking news um, in our weekly updates. Uh, Mike Trout has a torn ligament in his left thumb. He actually did it uh, before we recorded last week, but there was some uncertainty about what the injury was. He has done six to eight weeks uh, had surgery this past week. First time he's been on the DL in his career. Uh, I actually looked at the uh, amount of games he's played the last five years, or his first five years in the big leagues. Last year, 159. Year before, 159. Year before, 157. Then 157. And then his uh, first year in the bigs, 2012, uh, 139 games, but he made his debut on April 28th. Hmm. So he pretty much played the equivalent of you know 150 games uh, that year as well. So just incredibly durable, one of his great strengths, and uh, this is the first time he's been on the DL. He did it sliding headfirst into second. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so we'll see if he continues that, or it was on a steal, um, so we'll see if he continues. Is to it Chris Bryant that basis. doesn't uh, slide headfirst he most said, of the time? He said he was going to stop, but uh, he... Still does it? Uh, yeah, still does it from time to time. I'd love to see... Have you ever seen like a sports science thing on... How much faster it is? Uh, I've never seen any sports science thing. Well, game. I meant that type of a thing on an MLB network. Are you a big John Brinkus fan? No, I just meant that type of a segment mm-hmm. on. I have not, no. Trout is still the leader in war in baseball at 3.4. We'll see if that uh, continues. Aaron Judge has uh, 3.3 war, according to baseball reference. The All-Star game is right at the six-week mark for Trout with this injury. He's the leading vote-getter by far. Um, in the voting up till now. So hope he can come back for that. But my guess would be uh, coming back after the All-Star break is when hmm. he'll make his Really? I feel like Trout, comeback. of all people, would be back in like four weeks or something from that type of an injury. At the end of today's episode, I have a, uh, a fun Trout injury breaking news segment. Hmm. I'm intrigued. So stick through to the end. I know all our listeners do that anyway. But um, I've got a, a fun outro uh, that is Trout-related. Have you covered the Harper side? No, yeah, so big news in the Harper side. Uh, last Monday on Memorial Day, Harper charged the mound against Hunter Strickland. Uh, anyone that follows baseball has certainly seen that and heard about that. Suspended three games, uh, so he makes his comeback uh, today, actually. Uh, so I guess we'll break it on the podcast if he does anything uh, special today. But um, not much new on his stat categories because he didn't play this past week. Uh, Hunter Strickland was uh, upset with him because uh, he hit uh, two homers against him three years ago mm-hmm. in the playoffs. In the playoffs, yeah. Hadn't faced him since then. Um, so I think Harper won some fan support from mm-hmm. that whole thing. Yeah, Buster Posey's lack of uh, interest in the brawl I think helped Harper quite a bit. And Brandon Crawford. And, yeah. If you go back and watch it, both uh, Crawford and Posey were very yes. late. I thoroughly enjoyed your in-depth breakdown of the of the brawl. But if you haven't, go go and read Pete's uh, breakdown on A Foot in the Box. But yeah, I felt like uh, the takeaway was sort of Hunter Strickland is an idiot. Mm-hmm. And there are some hot takes on, on uh, Harper, but most of the stuff being written, I think, was about how ridiculous Strickland was. His The, the helmet throwing looked pretty mm-hmm. bad. If, if he had hit him, that would have probably been a huge deal. Mm-hmm. You think he was trying to hit him, right? I don't think he knew what he was doing. <laughs> um 
yeah, when he went to throw, I think he like intended for mm-hmm. it to come in the same area as Strickland. Harper also, um, we'll talk about him in our deep dive later. We are revisiting his 2009 Sports Illustrated uh, cover uh, feature article by Tom Verducci. Um, but he also this week um, made news. Peter Gaiman said that uh, Harper has been telling people he wants to play for the Cubs, mm-hmm. which is a break from what most people have said that he wants to play for the Yankees. Um, All right. If you have to choose between signing, I'll give you four players. You have to pick three. Okay. Harper, Bryant, Russell, Rizzo. I mean, everyone but Russell. Hmm. You'd give up Russell. Sure. That's such an important position. Know, whatever. He's sitting like 190. Harper uh, is amazing, and so I would take him. I think this is just a ploy to drum up the Cubs' interest in him and then to get more money. Like yeah. they, the, To get the Yankees to give a $400 million contract, you need another team to mm-hmm. bump it up. Yeah, anytime you hear something like this, I mean, Gammons is pretty reputable, but most of the time when you hear something like this, you kind of have to ask, like, all right, who would benefit from a leak like this? And, mm-hmm. Kind of points back to Boris, maybe planning a story. Uh, some other uh, nuggets from around baseball. Uh, we're at the one-third mark of the season, mm-hmm. which is a, just a good point to kind of um, look at some trends around the game. Uh, home runs per game. This is very interesting to me. Uh, the highest ever home runs per game is uh, 2,000 at 2.34 home runs per game. Second on that list is last year at 2.32. 2017 thus far is 2.46. Mm. So just a ton of home runs, uh, the most of all time. If the season ended uh, today, uh, strikeouts are an all-time high. Oh yeah, yeah, like they have been the last eight years now, nine mm-hmm. years. Uh, Attendance-wise, I'll have a blog post later this week. Um, you can check out. But attendance is back down to uh, uh, being less than last year, uh, under one percent. So pretty much even so far a lot of rainouts have affected that uh, the biggest jumps uh, are increases the braves indians rockies and orioles biggest decreases the yankees diamondbacks mets and royals the dodgers cardinals and giants are all averaging more than forty thousand a game so dodgers cardinals giants over forty thousand and uh, two teams are under twenty thousand mm, not the white Sox. no just barely uh, above twenty thousand the A's and uh, Rays are under 20,000. The Rays are at 14,719 wow. fans per game. Some context, though. 50 years ago, 1967, I looked at attendance. The highest attendance uh, for any team was 25,000 fans per game from the Cardinals. And 16 of the 20 teams in 1967 drew under 20,000. Hmm. Um, so way more people go to games now than they used to. Uh, last thing before listener at a game for me, the Mets mascot, Mr. Met flipped off a fan. Mm-hmm. Uh, your thoughts, uh, it reminded me of Tyler Collins last year. Uh, the Tiger center fielder flipped mm-hmm. off the fans, but yeah, not a, not a good look for Mr. Met. I agreed with the tweet that I saw. Let's be honest here. If you were flipped off by MLB team's mascot, wouldn't that be one of your favorite attended games ever? Mm. Yeah, probably would be. So I don't, I don't think there should be any suspension for Mr. Met. Very few mascots have the ability to flip people off. Well, Mr. Met doesn't. He has four fingers. <laughs> yeah, good point. Uh, Do you have anything else? Uh, I did not. All right. Well, uh, before our epic baseball TV segment, uh, let's do listener at a game. 
uh, Grady and I did a recap after the Cubs-Cardinals game on Friday. All right, we're recording our thoughts after the Cubs game. Grady, uh, did you have fun today? Yeah. What was the score? Uh, 3-2 the Cubs win. How did the Cubs score their runs? Um, the first one was Chris Bryant hitting a home run. Uh, Do you remember their second? When the right fielder dropped it? Uh, it was like this Cardinals guy, Jason Hayward, he like, I think, was it Jason Hayward? I think so, yeah. He hit like a pop fly, and then this guy was going to catch it, and he missed, and the runner scored. Who scored? Rizzo. Yep, and then Rizzo scored the winning run, right? Yeah. But Jason Hayward, I thought he was the... Jason Hayward hit it, right? That was the winning run? Yep. Well, the second run then. The, no, the winning run is when Jason Hayward hit a fly ball and Anthony Rizzo scored from third. They scored three runs. Yeah. So, so t- twice Jason Hayward hit it and uh, Rizzo scored. Uh, uh, what else did we do for fun today? Uh, we went to the... Oh. Um, we went to, we get to see, we got to see, um, the offices, and... The front offices? Yeah. Where all the important people work? Yeah. And we got to go in the field, we didn't get to go, like, in the infield or outfield, we just got to say, we got to, um... View where like the on deck people go, so that was cool. All right, anything else? What was your favorite food from today? Oh, uh, I had this, like ice cream sandwich with like, a cookie and this really good white stuff in the middle, and then another cookie on the bottom. And you gave me a nibble, just a nibble. And then I gave you a big bite. Only because it was falling apart. All right, well, uh, would you like to say anything to all the podcasts, people that listen to our, my podcast? Um, Who do you think is going to win the World Series this year? Cubs. Who are they going to beat? Indians, uh, Astros, Yankees. The Nationals. Well, the Nationals play in the same league. Oh, well, they can't play against each other? Not in the World Series. Probably the, the Yankees, the Astros, uh, or the Indians, or the Red Sox. Those are your choices. Uh, Red Sox. Red Sox. All right, Cubs over Red Sox. You heard it here first. Uh, signing off from Wrigleyville in Chicago. This is Peter with Grady and a foot in the box. This week for baseball on TV, uh, the much hyped return of MacGyver. So uh, we heard your concerns last year after, I think, three episodes where we did uh, MacGyver recaps. Uh, that segment was next in favor of a baseball and TV segment, which uh, also doesn't seem to be loved by the masses, but um, Paul and I enjoy it, so we, we keep doing it. So April was Seinfeld month, May was Saturday Night Live month, and 
today is the start of a new era, one-week era. <laughs> we're revisiting MacGyver, Season 6, Episode 11, entitled Squeeze Play, and we're doing it because it's a baseball-themed episode. And to help us recap it, want to welcome on our brother, Kevin, from Chicago. Yeah, thank you for having me. And can I ask, why did people dislike the MacGyver segment so much? Because if I'm being honest, I don't think I've listened to a full episode since you guys made that decision. (laughs) Can't please everyone. From what I recall, when Peter did his tour, where he visited various listeners um, on the road trip last year, he heard from several that felt as though they were irrelevant to the baseball portion of our podcast. Well, to each his own, I guess. It was a fair criticism. Yeah, I enjoyed those recaps, though. But. Well, let's let's dive in uh, to this week's episode, and we'll cue up the uh, the theme music like we used to back in back in the day. So right. uh, let's try to recap it in three minutes. That was always our thing last year, but we didn't really ever do it. <laughs> I had no idea it was three minutes. I recall giving probably a ten to fifteen oh, yes. recap at one point. <laughs> Yep, I remember that I think that well. was the end of it, actually. I think that was the end of it. All right, so uh, this episode, like I said, Season 6, Episode 11, uh, 1990 is the year of this uh, MacGyver episode. Uh, MacGyver takes down some baseball memorabilia thieves, hacks. Is that how you'd refer to them? Cons. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, Novus Riley is kind of the main Novus character, Riley. which... Yeah, N-O-V-I-S. Where the heck do you think they came up, came up with that name? I don't know. It's a great name, though. He seems to be like a, just a typical white middle-class baseball player. Not a guy you would expect to be a former star player. I have former second baseman. Uh, is that accurate? I don't remember where in the episode that's mentioned. No, I don't recall that from the episode. And he w- based on his uh, power display at the end of the episode... <laughs> I don't know that he's a second baseman. I want to him more on the third baseman. Maybe I got it confused because uh, at one point in the episode, MacGyver is asked to give a kind of a scouting report of yeah, uh, you have Novus, and uh, MacGyver said that he used to um, was like a vendor for games, and when he wanted to steal second base, he had this like nervous tick where he itches nose. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's where I'm getting the second baseman thing. But now he's Novus Riley. He's retired in this episode. Is he the head of, like, the Hall of Fame? He's involved in some way. I don't really understand how. Yeah, I but felt like he was more he was more of a friend of Reggie Jackson, though. But I feel like he's, yeah, like, he, the head of some sort of, maybe a Hall of Fame competitor. Yeah, he, he is um, tight with Reggie Jackson, apparently, but also he's in charge of some kind of Hall of Fame museum. And it wasn't the one in Cooperstown. I feel like there were some copyright issues. There. They kept calling it something really specific, like the American Pastime <laughs> Hall of Fame or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it was kind of a strange episode. Yeah, a little odd. I went, um, I went so far as to say it was the worst TV episode I think I've ever seen. <laughs> the The acting was just atrocious. That comes uh, with quite a bit of weight because you've seen pretty much every episode of Big Bang Theory. <laughs> I have not. No. <laughs> you used to watch it a lot. No, that's yes. false. No, freshman year of college. I had a roommate who would watch it. How many episodes have you seen? I've probably seen 20, 30. Exactly. So Novus uh, has some gambling debts he needs to pay off. Mm-hmm. And the way that he's paying them off is by 
uh, getting uh, memorabilia from famous buddies of his and then giving them to these dealers. And so Reggie Jackson's going to donate a bunch of equipment to the to this uh, Hall of Fame competitor. And uh, the night before, the, uh, the the bookies, the memorabilia thieves, hold uh, Novus's daughter for ransom. Mm-hmm. Wendy. That, she, she is terrible. I agree. Right? Wendy is one of the most annoying characters on any show. Yep. In MacGyver. Yep, I would agree. And then um, he steals all of Reggie Jackson's stuff that he's going to donate and gives it to the the thieves. And then um, there's kind of an altercation, and uh, MacGyver saves the day. Uh, the climax of the episode is MacGyver throwing a pitch to Novus, <laughs> who, with Reggie Jackson's bat, hits the ball, hits this huge scoreboard that falls on top of the thieves' car as they're trying to drive away, which apparently stops them. And then it never really shows the cops coming, but you mm-hmm. I guess you're just left to assume that the guy gave up mm-hmm. his con job. The ball he hits, though, I believe was the, it was like the ball that was going to be donated to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, it was the, uh, the bat and the ball from, was it the 77 World Series where he hit those three homers? Yeah, Game 7. Yep. He, he hit three homers in Game 7 of a World Series? Mm-hmm. Wow. No, I think it was Game 7. Pretty sure it's it was the clincher that was what won it. He won five World Series. I was looking at his numbers after the end of it. How many with the Yankees? Two with the Yankees, three with the Athletics, if I'm remembering right. What did you guys think of his uh, acting? Well, he had kind of a strange scene. I thought, at first I didn't think he was going to be in the episode at all. Then he showed up while Novus was stealing uh, memorabilia and had a very kind of lighthearted conversation with him where they discussed what to do about the daughter being kidnapped. <laughs> it was weird. It like didn't fit what was actually happening. And then he left after convincing Novus to call the police and do the right thing. But then as soon as he left, <laughs> Novus stole MacGyver's car. It's very weird. Yeah, I loved it. Uh, I think Jackson was like, you're doing the right thing, Novus. And then not 15 seconds later, Novus peels out in the MacGyver's car. <laughs> MacGyver was driving, uh, was like a 67 some car, and, and Wendy knew that it was Hank Aaron's rookie year. Wendy was awful. Mm-hmm. Wendy was awful. Actually, after the episode was over, well, I looked up Jackson's stats, then I looked up um, Novus to see um, if maybe that name was based on a play. I was just curious about the name, and that uh, directed me toward a MacGyver blog. That is excellent. You guys would love it. Called the MacGyver Project. But there's a whole recap thing that this guy writes on each episode. And on this one, he he wrote a lot about not liking Wendy. And uh, he went so far as to say that um, one of the low points in the acting of this episode was when the, uh, the thugs called Novus to say that they kidnapped his daughter. And he didn't seem to be very upset about it. And the blog said that maybe it's because Novus was as annoyed with her as you are. <laughs> oh, darn it. You kidnapped my daughter that I love so much. Oh, no. Well, kidnap, kidnap is probably too harsh of a term. She was tre- she was trespassing on her property and did, like uh, essentially walked into the house. Um, the ending of the episode was laughable. I mean, you, you have to see it to really uh, believe what exactly happened. 
yeah, maybe we'll um, get get the video and post it on Twitter or something like that. Mm-hmm. I think people would enjoy that. I think, you know, we don't endorse uh, taking copyrighted material and uh, posting it <laughs> on the internet, but I think in this case it's warranted. Wasn't copyright like 20 years and then it's up for grabs or something like that? <laughs> you guys should probably get that figured out, though. Hmm. Where you get sued. Have, a, have a, the Phoenix Foundation coming after us. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I'm on the, the Guys of Project blog right now, and they give a synopsis of each episode in three sentences or less. Would you like me to read? Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Synopsis of season six, episode uh, 11. Episode. 11. Yeah. A neighborhood boy steals Frank Colton's baseball cards. Mama Colton asks MacGyver to get them back. He teams up with Wendy, the daughter of former star Novus Riley, and they stumble onto a card counterfeiting operation. The ringleader kidnaps Wendy in an attempt to extort Novus into stealing memorabilia originally used by Reggie Jackson in the 1977 World Series. Man, when you put it like that, it doesn't sound as believable as, as the episode made it seem. Well, what's funny, what cracks me up is that the writer had to pitch that storyline mm-hmm. at some point. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Good stuff here. So, but they give lots of different things. It's really worth a worthwhile read. But they give some highlights. Uh, and I'll just say what this gentleman says is his highlight. Uh, he says, But I have to go with the dramatic ending where MacGyver pitches Reggie Jackson's World Series home run baseball to former superstar Novus Riley who then puts a perfect swing on it and puts it into the electronic scoreboard, a la Robert Redford in the natural. The scoreboard then malfunctions and crashes down onto the bad guy in the getaway car. You can call it crazy, ridiculous, and unrealistic, and you'd be right on all counts, but it sure was fun. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, clip, the clip we'll play to um, close out the segment is um, MacGyver's scouting um, abilities. Uh <laughs> The tell. Yes, the tell. The nervous itch. And I'm, I'm going to start looking for that with uh, base runners, you know, when I'm at a game. See if they have any tells when they steal a base. Mm. Interesting. Maybe maybe John Lester saw that in Tommy Pham yesterday. Yeah, I think Pham <laughs> that you had about a 25 foot. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like Pham could have slid back pretty easily. He did like this weird like double clutch. Or like uh-huh. he kind of went back initially and then like waited for the ball to get there. I don't. Yeah. Some people were saying he should have just took it off for a second. I don't agree with that yeah. because I don't think he would have made it. Um, but he probably could have gotten back to first. Yeah, I think he could have slid back to first. So I think the, the adjustment for teams should be take a big lead off. If he throws, like just dive back like he normally would. Yeah. Yeah, I think it just feels so unnatural to get that kind of a lead. All right. Well, that's been uh, MacGyver in uh, 25 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to all the listeners, but I think that segment is very worthwhile. Yes, Kevin, we look forward to having you on later this season. I don't know if Brothers Road Trip in August will be the next time, but um, appreciate your time. All right, no problem. Thanks for having me. You know anything about me, MacGyver? Oh, yeah. You ever see me play baseball? Sure. Uh, When I was going to college, I used to usher out at Met Stadium once in a while. That doesn't mean you really watched me play. Um... You used to have this nervous thing you'd do whenever you thought you could steal second base. You'd kind of rub the back of your nose like this, sort of backhanded-like. 
was dead giveaway. Saying you read me like a book? Lucky nobody else did, huh? Yeah. You're all right. All right, for Out of the Box this week, I'm going to talk about uh, Hawk Harrelson, Rob Hart of Southside Sox, which is the White Sox SB Nation uh, blog, wrote earlier uh, this weekend a, uh, a recap of his career called Hawk Harrelson is Living History. Um, for those that might not be aware, uh, Hawk Harrelson is longtime White Sox TV broadcaster, and he announced that he is retiring at the end of next year. The people that don't know who Hawk is have been very confused at what TWTW <laughs> is. So he'll announce the remainder of this season's games that he agreed to do, which are all the White Sox road games, and then just 20 games next season as kind of a farewell tour. Like home Sunday games, right? Mm-hmm. Um, But in uh, Rob Hart's piece, he looks back, summarizes Hawks' 35 years with the Sox, and just thought I'd pull out a few interesting nuggets. Um, As much as I don't like Hawk uh, as a broadcaster, he is a very interesting figure in baseball history. So I've got uh, four or five nuggets here. Uh, First, Hawk's tenure with the Sox aligns almost perfectly with Jerry Reinsdorf's time as the owner of the White Sox. Reinsdorf bought the team in... Uh, 1981, endured one year with Harry Carey, and then made the move to go with Hawk um, and Don Drysdale in 1982. So Hawk replaced Harry Carey. And what's fascinating to me is that at the time, uh, Drysdale and Harrelson were considered the conservative and professional alternative to Harry Carey. Hmm. Uh, Hawk said after it was announced that he was he'd be announcing the 1982 season that the game is the thing referring to the fact that announcers aren't meant to be entertainers. They're meant to bring out what's happening on the field, which is very ironic uh, in retrospect. Second, so after the team uh, disappointed in 84, Reinsdorf fired uh, the GM and the assistant GM, who was Dave Dombrowski, hmm. now, now the Red Sox president of baseball ops, uh, and he picked Hawk to come out of the booth and run the team in 1986. White Sox were terrible that year, only won 72 games, and Hawk uh, fired Hall of Famer uh, Tony La Russa, future Hall of Famer Tony La Russa, halfway through the season, and Hawk himself quit before the season was over. So um, a terrible season. You can read all about that. He moved Carlton Fisk to left, hired a bunch of his old buddies to be coaches on the team. Uh, Drysdale was a pitching coach. Um, So a fascinating thing in and of itself. So he quit. Uh, before the season was over, and then he took three seasons off. And when he returned to the booth in 1990, that's really when he became the Hawk as we know him today, Hawk 2.0, as as Hart calls him, where he he hated umpires. Uh, he was uh, an entertainer. Um, in '90, it was really when a lot of those things started to come out of him. Before that, he was he was much more conservative, and we probably wouldn't recognize him if we heard some of those clips. Um, but one of the first examples of his ire for umpires came in 1991 game against the Texas Rangers, and I believe we have that clip queued up. Minnesota going to be eight and a half games back right now. It's going to have to really cinch it up right now, Hawk. Just a real tough break. You don't know what to say any more than what we already did. That's not a tough break. That's just a brutal call, and the umpires wonder why everybody gets on him all the time. That, he makes a call like that all of a sudden now. He comes in, and he tells Jeff Torborg, well, Daryl Cousins uh, thinks he could have scored. That's the only thing he could have said yeah. to Daryl Cousins, and that is absolute BS right there. There's no way in the world one 
Gonzalez could have scored from first base right there. Unless Rod McCray comes in nonchalantly like he did after he saw the call by Joe Brinkman. So it was just a terrible call, a brutal call. I'll tell you, this might, this might have... It might have right here. You might be able to send this film and tape and get an appeal play. Yeah, I don't know if they're going to file an appeal because he made the call, and then all of a sudden it's an interpretation right there on the fact, so I don't know what's going to happen. Anyway, there's four unearned runs there in the bottom of the ninth. Four unearned runs by the Rangers. And then over the next 25 seasons, Hawk would be uh, criticized um, as a company man, as a homer, and probably most recently he's most famous for just being uh, ignorant, um, of Moneyball concepts, of advanced kind of statistical concepts that have caught on in baseball. So I'd say generally a majority of baseball fans view him as laughable. For White Sox fans that, you know, have been alive for a few decades, I think he's more endearing. Mm. Um, you know, his his voice will always be synonymous with, you know, the World Series run in 2005, Burley's perfect game, and um, he was White Sox baseball for, for 30 years. But our dad, who's in his 60s now, uh, does not like him at all. Right. I think there's parts of Hawk that are endearing to him. Hmm. But I'll wrap up here. By far my favorite thing about Hawk is his use of superlatives. And uh, Southside Sox did a deep dive on them back in 2013. Again, you cannot use that term. What? Deep dive. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, did a uh, thorough analysis. Thank you. And uh, here are a few of my favorites. So these are all real things he said on the air. The best two-strike bunter he's ever seen is Mickey Mantle. The best-looking 19-year-old position player the White Sox have ever had is Ryan Sweeney. Mm. Uh, one of the best Hawk has ever seen with a first baseman hold, holding somebody on at hooking it into that hole is Omar Vizquel. Mm. Best... Uh, best ever at catching pop-ups, Paul Canerco. The prettiest player ever, or that he's seen, is Ken Griffey Jr. And the best baseball player autograph signer he's ever seen is Cal Ripken Jr. I mean the quantity or the actual signature? The uh, the signature, I believe. Mm. But the best ever, not just baseballs, is Arnold Palmer. Mm. Um, so yeah, Hawk, love him, hate him. He's an interesting guy, and... Uh, he gave us a laugh or two along the way. Yes, and uh, uh, TWTW also will be back for 2018. Mm-hmm. If the podcast is back for 2018. Yes. All right, well, that was good. That was great. Uh, we'll link to that in the podcast episode notes for the mocks.com. Uh My articles this week, the favorite one uh, to write for myself was the breakdown of the Harper Strickland brawl. I picked out my 10 favorite screenshots, screen grabs of the brawl. Uh, you can check that out, footinthebox.com. Very good work. Thank you. Uh, that was a, kind of an ode to Sam Miller of uh, ESPN, formerly Baseball Prospectus, who did uh, something similar for the uh, Rangers-Blue Jays fight last year. Mm-hmm. But we have a fight that tops this one the rest of the year. No, no way. I agree. All right, uh, let's look at Albert Pujols. Pedro Mora of the LA Times wrote a good piece. It was actually done before Pujols hit his uh, 600th homer, um, but now that Pujols has hit it, it's an article that um, is still relevant. Pujols is the ninth uh, hitter to join the 600 home run club, and Mora looks at uh, where Pujols is at in his life and in his career. So from 2001 to 2010, uh, Pujols was 
the best player in baseball. Averaged 41 home runs, uh, 426 on base, 624 slugging, and uh, 8.1 war um, every year from, and two, from I believe, 2001 to 2010. I believe he won a couple gold gloves as well. Yep, and three MVPs in that stretch. So the first uh, 10 years of his career was just a dominant baseball player. From 2011 to 2017, he has averaged uh, 30 home runs a year, 330 on base, and a 481 slugging. So that's a drop from a 426 on base to 330, and then a 624 slugging to 481. And he's just averaged uh, 2.9 wins above replacement, according to baseball reference. Uh, and that 2011 to 2017, 2011 was the last year he was with the Cardinals. Um, and it's interesting. Uh, so the Cardinals win the World Series in 2011. Mm-hmm. It's the great Cardinals-Rangers World Series. I was at, uh, or I, I was in St. Louis for Game 7 right. of that series. So that was the last game Pujols ever played with the Cardinals. Uh, he leaves for free agency right after that. And then Jeff Lunau leaves that offseason to go to the Astros. Mm-hmm. So it was a very impactful offseason strangely right after they won the the World Series. The Cardinals have not won a World Series since Pujols left. And remind me uh were the Cardinals players in that free agency? Like did they just get outbid or did they kind of say from the beginning? Yep, so the contract was uh 10 years and I believe 240 million dollars. It was just below what Ara got um with the Rangers. Yeah, I think it was ten years, two hundred and forty. It was it was backloaded though, so he uh, he has four years left after this year, and one hundred and fourteen million dollars. Man, uh, which is you know just a crazy amount of money. If he was a free agent after this year, how much money do you think he'd get on the open market? Man, uh, how how old is he? He will turn thirty eight in January. Uh, I mean, honestly, maybe what Chris Carter got. Yeah, I think he get a little bit more. At two years, twenty million. That's too much. He was like a two-win player last year. But Chris Carter hit he hit forty homers last year and got a one-year three million dollar deal. Yeah, I just think some team with the name and everything. I think he'd get two years and and he can't play the field, right? He plays first some, hmm. but I think just because he wants to, not because he's good at it. All right, so he's not nearly as good a player as he is now, um, which makes sense. You know, he was drafted in nineteen ninety nine. I looked at uh, the. Uh, remaining active players from that draft. You've got Pujols, Brand Phillips, John Lackey, Coco Crisp, Pat Neshek. Hmm. And none of those players have, you know, more than this year left in their contract. Right. So it just, it was a stupid contract by the angels. Would have been stupid for the Cardinals to sign, you know, mm-hmm. uh, 10 years, $200 million. He turned 37 in January. I don't think he is 37. I think he's older. Like his career arc would make a lot more sense if he was like two or three years older than he says he is. And then if you go back and, and look at uh, his upbringing, you could see where maybe that happened. Mm-hmm. But nothing against him. I just think he looks much older than 37 when he's running around the bases and trying to be a first baseman. Yeah, and our history with Pujols goes back even farther because we saw him play uh, in single A. Do you remember that? I do. I don't remember that at all. Um the, uh, the local minor league team was just like a 45-minute drive from our hometown. So we, we got to see him play uh, early on. And I remember even then, he was a third baseman. His numbers were crazy. I think he was batting like 330. So it must have been 2000. Because mm-hmm. that was like the only full year he played in the minors. Yeah. In uh, in Moore's article, he says that uh, Pujols can be found watching a lot of his film with the Cardinals nowadays. Um, 
hmm. trying yes. trying to kind of instill confidence back in to him as a, a as a hitter, and I think he just likes watching himself <laughs> hit tons of home runs. He's kind of a shell of himself, you know, physically and and all of that. But he does still have an incredible eye at the plate. So there's some interesting quotes in here from uh, scouts and from his manager. A scout says, uh, "Can he keep his lower half healthy?" Lower half injuries make it nearly impossible to hit the way you normally would. His approach and ability to manage the strike zone are still at elite levels, and I don't expect that to change unless he gets to a point where he loses bat speed, causing him to cheat for fastballs. His swing, though, is short and direct. He can still get to any fastball. And then Mike Sosha is convinced he's still a valuable player because he uh, has lots of RBIs. (laughs) Sosha says, when you're not going to run, that still carries an enormous amount of weight to what your offense is about. You look at Tony Perez, Edgar Martinez. Historically, there are guys who you didn't want up there in those situations. Albert is one of those guys. And uh, Angels hitting coach Dave Hansen says he doesn't look at Pujols' strikeout numbers, which have increased in recent years. He just looks at his RBI totals. Mm. Yeah, so Pujols, Mora says about him, he says, uh, because of his contract and the inextricable extent to which the Angels have tied their fortunes to his, Pools cannot merely survive to be considered a success. He must defy the aging curve's continued onslaught. So, Paul, he is uh, 124 hits shy of 3,000, so he'll probably get that next year. Mm-hmm. Maybe this year if he has just an insane uh, bounce back. But I would say beginning of 2017. Mm-hmm. 600 home runs right now. He is ninth. Uh, how many more home runs would you guess for Pools' career? Where does he end up? Say he ends up around like six sixty, averages fifteen or so over the next four years, and so uh, you, you think he plays his whole contract with the Angels? Well, I, he, if he goes three years, I think he'll average around twenty. It's so around six sixty, and um, yeah, definitely first ballot Hall of Famer. And there's never been any inkling of steroids. Mm-hmm. Willie Mays has six hundred and sixty homers, mm-hmm. and he is fifth all time, so that would put him in the top five. I think he doesn't finish his contract, and um, I'll say he gets to. I think there'll come a point where he just can't can't play because of his his feet and his legs. So I I'll say six thirty, mm. and uh, that would Ken Griffey has six hundred thirty homers. So I, I'll say he'll um, top Griffey. I'll say six thirty one. Greatest first baseman of all time. Uh. Yeah, I think so. I guess Bonds, outfielder, Aaron, outfielder, Babe Ruth, uh, outfielder, A-Rod, infielder, Mays, outfielder, Griffey, outfielder, Tommy, uh, first baseman. But yeah, I would say Pulse is better than all those guys. Ernie Banks. Ernie Banks, yeah, someone. You think Harmon Kilbrew play first? <laughs> I'm not sure. Sounds like a first baseman. McGuire? Hmm. I'll take Pujols. All right, next on the podcast, we have TWTW. When you can put some of those categories, you know, you got your OBPS and all that and the VORPs. When they put in TWTW and then interface those numbers with TWTW under that category, then you might have something cooking. What, what, what TW is. Yeah, what is that? That's the will to win. All right, as I mentioned on last week's podcast for TWTW over the next couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking about home field advantage. Um, as I mentioned uh, last week, home teams win roughly 54% of the time, which you know seems like not that big of an advantage, but it is uh, pretty sizable, and it's stayed shockingly consistent 
um, over baseball's history, or at least the last 100 years. And uh, in February of this year, Travis Sawchick of Fangraphs dug into the topic, um, and he uh, he wrote that you know conventional wisdom has it that home field advantage is derived from uh, some combination of hostile crowds, fatigue from travel, and familiarity with the playing service. And we talked about a few of those last week. However, he points to research from a professor at the University of Chicago. Maybe we should have him on in the future hmm. to suggest another factor. And uh, honestly, not one that I had considered, which is umpire bias. Hmm. Um, the University of Chicago professor Tobias Mastowitz uh, argues that home field advantage in all sports is largely the product of referee or umpire bias. He's a psychology professor, kind of digs into some of the, the psychology behind an umpire and you know wanting not wanting to be yelled at, that sort of thing. Um, but for baseball, uh, this professor, along with a Sports Illustrated writer, uh, analyzed several years of pitch FX data to show that teams typically receive the benefit of borderline pitch calls, particularly in higher leverage situations when playing at home. Um, Here's a direct quote from their study. In baseball, it turns out that the most significant difference between home and away teams is that the home teams strike out less and walk more, a lot more, per plate appearance than road teams. And this, uh, the study came out, uh, in 2011, but Sawchuk looks into the data from the last uh, six years and it backs up what um, Moskowitz is saying. 2016, the pitchers struck out more and walked fewer when they pitched at home. And uh, doing the math, this uh, equated to 10.5 runs per season. And if accurate, that bias accounts for roughly 70% of home field advantage. So uh, really fascinating. And what's even more fascinating is the whole um, robo-ump debate that if Moskowitz is saying is true and we move more towards, um, or I guess we we move completely to uh, robot umps, then home field advantage could largely be reduced. Um, so interesting debate and uh, an interesting factor in the, the home field advantage debate. We'll link to the article in uh, the episode page and uh, I'll talk about home field advantage again next week. How many weeks is this series? Three. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting. That was TWTW. Thanks to Hawk for uh, the intro there. Next up, we have Sounds of the Game. Oh, and one to count to Finley. The outfield is shallow. The infield is up. Finley today is one for four. Franklin set. Wayne ready and deal. Swung on. High fly ball to deep right field. Wherever it goes, the Dodgers have one, and it's a grand slam home run. That was Vince Gloy calling Steve Finley's walk-off Grand Slam on October 2nd, 2004. It was uh, a walk-off Grand Slam to beat the Giants and clinch the NL West. Uh, It was Finley's 36th homer, and he was 39 years old. Hmm. Uh, That's a career high for Finley, 36 at age 39. Steroids. Makes you think, and uh, perhaps Pujols can get some of what Finley was taking back then. Uh, there were seven Grand Slams hit on Saturday. We haven't discussed this yet. Uh, it's a record. I think f- four was the previous record. Hmm. Is Papa John still in business today? It's good. Yeah, Papa Slam. I've never used one of those. Have you? For, it's just a discounted uh-huh. 
I have not, no. There's still time. Dinner tonight, yeah. Yeah. NBA Finals, Cubs cards, and a pop of slam. So uh, this week's Sounds of the Game is just uh, the um, call for each of the seven Grand Slams. So there were uh, ones with pretty high leverage. So the um, Kyle Schwarber Grand Slam against the Cardinals put the Cubs in the lead late in the game. And then the Dodgers, Chris Taylor also Grand Slam late in that game. Mike Zanino with the Mariners, Matt Adams with the Braves, and Ian Desmond with the Rockies. So here are those seven Grand Slams. One, two, breaking ball out toward left field, hugging the line. This one's got a chance to go. Go! Big fly for Albert Pujols, number 600. center field. Robson's going back. Way back. And it's a grand slam home run! Chris Taylor! The Dodgers are back from the dead and lead it 10-8! His second grand slam of the year! Schwarber in the air. Deep left center. Back toward the wall! It's a grand Listen to the madness. This place is going nuts. How good did that feel, Kyle Schwarber? At the belt and the pitch. Swing and a drive. Deep right field. Back Puig. Still back. It is gone. Grand slam, Travis Shaw. Brewers take the lead. It's 7-4. Walks come back to bite the Dodgers. Three of them, and then a blast by Shaw. This ball driven high and deep left field. Got a lot of run on it. Grand slam. Ian Desmond. He likes Petco Park. All three of his home runs here in San Diego. And those are jug runs. Zanino's got a chance to really open this one up. Fly. Left field. There it is gone. This is a mammoth grand slam. Have yourself a night, Mike Zanino. You can count them up. Seven RBIs for the Mariners catcher. Deep drive to center. by Matt Adams, and that breaks the seal for Atlanta in a big way. A grand slam home run. Bad time to make a bad mistake. That's what that pitch was. Feldman knows it. Nitro zone for Matt Adams. He left the dugout waiting for that pitch. This week for Deep Dive, we are looking at a Sports Illustrated from June 8th, 2009. It was the one... Uh, that Bryce Harper was on as a mm-hmm. 16-year-old. The cover uh, of that SI had the words, Baseball's Chosen One, 
Bryce Harper is the most exciting prodigy since LeBron. And then also on the cover, 570-foot homers, 96-mile-per-hour fastballs, 16 years old. Like I said, June 8, 2009, uh, and this Thursday will be June 8, 2017. So the eight-year mm-hmm. uh, anniversary of this article. So with Harper in the news, we thought it would be fun just to look back at this article uh, quickly here. So uh, the, the title of the article by Tom Verducci in the Sports Illustrated was called Baseball's LeBron. And the, the byline of that article uh, says the following. His name is Bryce Harper. You don't know him, but every big league scouting director does. He hits the ball a desert mile, clocks 96 on the gun, and he's only 16. More advanced than A-Rod and Junior were at the same age. And his ambition is as great as his talent. Uh, so where did you want to begin with this article, Paul? Um, I uh, I pulled out a few uh, of my favorite uh, anecdotes from it. Yeah, maybe, maybe we can start there. bounce back and forth. Early on in the piece... Uh, Verducci quotes a scouting director for a team anonymously, of course, as saying that as a sophomore, so right then at that moment, Harper would be a top two pick. In the 2009 draft. Right. Which I looked up, the 2009 draft sucked. (laughs) Uh, The top 10 did. So Strasburg went one. So I think that scouting director was saying he would have went second behind Strasburg. Mm -hmm. Strasburg went one to the Nationals. Then the following, Dustin Ackley, Donovan Tate, Tony Sanchez, Matt Hobgood, Zach Wheeler, Mike Miner, Mike Leake, Jacob Turner, and Drew Storen. Wow, that's bad. Do you know who went 25th in that draft, though? Mike Trout. That's right. Two picks after the White Sox. Hmm. Took someone I hadn't heard of before. Courtney Hawkins? Nope. But yeah, it's nuts that as a 16-year-old, he would have been number two overall pick in the draft. Well, is it, though? I think so. Well, I... Guys don't develop that. Like, the the best ever, I think, age isn't all that important. Like, how much better did Griffey get between 16 and 17? Yeah, I guess I was thinking it more from the angle of, like, I remember when I was a 16-year-old. Oh, sure. Playing sports and, like... But, like, when you're 18, it's still ridiculous to go. Yeah. Number one overall. So, uh, Verducci has the quote. He says, uh, golf has Tiger Woods, basketball has LeBron James, hockey had Wayne Gretzky, and military history had Alexander the Great. (laughs) But baseball, like jazz, is a discipline that does not easily engender prodigies. Since 1967, only one player has hit a homer in the major leagues before his 19th birthday, Robin Yount of the 1974 Brewers. Uh, I looked, Harper made his debut at 19. So mm-hmm. he did not he did not beat the clock, and I assume Robin Yount is still the the last player since 1967 to to uh, hit a home run mm-hmm. at uh, 18 or younger. Uh, well, with Harper, the the interesting thing that Rudich talks about is how he essentially was almost a minor league player as a high schooler. Talked about him playing uh, upwards of 130 games a year. He was traveling all over the country. Actually, dropped out and got his GED so he could go pro early um so he he was probably different than guys 20 30 years ago so a couple homers are pretty hyped about trout from back then so there's a 502 foot homer at tropicana field Mm -hmm. like a home run derby he was in and there's youtube videos of that and then there's also um, a 570 foot homer that he reportedly hit in high school both of those are with metal bats though so i mean that doesn't do a lot for me it's like nuts that he hit balls so far Mm mm-hmm but especially the one at Tropicana, like, oh, a metal bat is ridiculous. Yeah. Like, of, of course he's going to hit long home runs. Uh, 
At the time, he said his game was modeled after uh, Mickey Mantle and Pete Rose. And it's interesting. He definitely saw himself as kind of an old-school type player, Mm -hmm. which is interesting uh, because he has upset a lot of old-school type guys. Right. He's going to make baseball fun again, um, going against Goose Gossage and others. And I think a lot of old-timers probably really dislike Trout because of the Mm -hmm. way he handles himself. Harper. Yeah. Sorry, yeah. Um, And not Trout. And so... He's like an old school guy, but all the old school guys hate him. Mm-hmm. The, the uh, you know, him comparing himself to Pete Rose and like the, the way I think he said he plays the game like viciously. Uh, that's actually pretty accurate. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was surprised um, at how well he sort of knew his own playing style. Sure. Uh, when asked about his goals as a player, sixteen uh, year old Harper said, "Be in the Hall of Fame." play in Yankee Stadium, play in the pinstripes, be considered the greatest baseball player who ever lived. I thought the the playing in the pinstripes was a little yeah, I don't think obscure there. I have such little doubt that he's going to go to the Yankees. Yeah. But do you feel like 2009, I guess they had just, they won the World Series 2009? Yeah. They are on their way to win the World Series that year, I guess, when it was written. It just seemed like the Yankees had sort of lost a little bit of their luster by then. It just seems kind of random that he would say. Mm-hmm. It's also the strips. He Later in the article, he says uh, about his playing style, I'm going to try to rip your head off. That's just the way I am. Old school. If I could play for a guy like Lou Pinella or Larry Boa, I'd love it. <laughs> yeah. Lou would have been Cubs manager at the time. Uh, yeah. And Larry Boa would have been out of baseball, no? I think so. Both those guys are still alive? Yes. Okay. And uh, one other note going off his playing style in on the uh, inside brim of his hat he had two minutes of fury written down Mm -hmm. Uh, that's the length of an at-bat i had forgotten that he came up as a catcher Mm -hmm. or he played catcher in high school my favorite uh harper fun fact from this era uh he played in a uh, tournament when he was 12 years old and he went uh 12 for 12 with 11 home runs (laughs) And that's his his mom says that's when she knew that he was special. Uh, to further sharpen Bryce's hand-eye coordination, his dad pitched him sunflower seeds, bottle tops, and dried red beans. And I think I'm going to do this with uh, my kids, or like if I ever coach a baseball team, I'll do that. Because mm-hmm. I think so much of hitting is being able to recognize pitches and kind of slowing the game down that way. Yeah, I think that's interesting. Another... Uh, Interesting thing about his family, I thought the fact that his parents are pretty blue collar. His mm-hmm. dad was a steel worker. His mom was a paralegal. It's kind of endearing. Sure, I like um, the picture of, of him coming from kind of blue collar roots. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't have expected that. It's a Mormon family. It is, yeah. Yeah, Verducci mentions it kind of casually that he attends religious classes. But um, if you follow him on Instagram, like I do, he is uh, very Mormon. Yes. Uh, his brother was drafted by the Nationals. Still in their system. Yeah, I didn't realize that. Yeah, Tommy John surgery last year. Um, made it up to AAA. He's a pitcher. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian Harper is his name. Harper made his debut in 2012 at the age of 19. Uh, he was the uh, rookie of the year, made the All-Star game that year. And um, had kind of a, a couple years of not living up to expectations. He was still decent, but not great. And then um, 2015... Our first year doing this podcast, he was insanely good. Mm-hmm. And then last year, again, kind of a step back, probably had some injuries. Right. 
and then this year he has started out really well. Yeah. Um, so it, I think the the Harper uh, story is left to be written. Um, mm-hmm. He's been in the limelight now for close to a decade, but uh, still a lot to be decided. Uh, turns twenty five in October. Do you uh, would you rather have uh, Bryant or Harper for the next decade? If they were the same price, Har- Harper. Harper. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I, you'd be an anomaly among. Cup, I, I cup just students. think there's like a capacity there for so much. Like he's just incredibly gifted and talented. That yeah. I think, but you just, do have to deal with the baggage. Yeah, he'll figure it out. He's 24. I'd probably go Bryant. Uh, anything else for Harper? Mm-mm. All right. Well, we'll link to that uh, in the podcast episode. Uh, I'll probably write a blog post about it uh, this Thursday when it's the anniversary uh, of the article. But uh, good stuff from Tom Berducci, and it's fun to look back at these articles. All right. Well, it's time to close out the podcast, and we'll do that right now. So uh, no MVP baseball update this week. Uh, just didn't get around to it. Laziness, yes. Uh, Paul's still up 5-0. We'll play a game right now. Uh, so check out our uh, our Twitter page to see who won that. Uh, need a win. Desperately need a win. And uh, I think we'll get one. Hmm. Uh, episode 100 is coming up soon. Uh, we are excited for that. Something special lined up. So uh, make sure to get ready for that. So I teased early on that I have a, a fun trout outro. So I follow trout on Instagram. Do you follow trout on Instagram? No, but MLB uh, will frequently repost, regram his Instagrams. Uh, so this was a trout Instagram story. So they're only there for like, what, 24 hours? Mm-hmm. Have you ever done one? I haven't. Have you thought about it? No. I enjoy watching them though. So trout is doing this uh, uh, Instagram live uh story thing uh and it's him in traffic with his fiance i don't think they're married yet fiance and then their dog and uh so it's you know like oh traffic tunes the song he is listening to and his fiance is singing along to is by chris stapleton a country artist that is decent he uh he's like in the in the mold of like a good country like johnny cash type country hmm. and the song uh, just came out in his new record, uh, Stapleton's new record. It's called Broken Halos. Perfect. So I think there's some deep meaning here. The Angels, you know, uh, have lost their star player, and their season's most likely over. Trout knew what he was doing. Bro- mm-hmm. Broken Halos is our outro today. Uh, well, that does it for our podcast. Thanks for listening. Um, you can subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Make sure to leave us a review there. Find us on Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Send us emails at afootinthebox at gmail.com. Let us know if you're going to a game, and we'll do a, a segment with you at the game. Follow us on Twitter at afootinthebox, and check us out online at afootinthebox.com. That's where I blog every day and where you can find all the links that we talk about during the episode. Anything else, Paul? Nope. Just a reminder to keep a foot in the box. We'll talk to you next week. Say my Sarah,